The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Verse in there that the devil used. Oh, yes, he did. That's absolutely it. Devil knows scripture, too. He knows it a lot better than we do. We just have to take it in the right context, or we're going to have our, our uh, selves in a pinch. All right, let's see what we got here. This, we're in Joshua 21. It's verses 34 through 45. This is entitled, The Cities of Merari. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its common land, Kartah with its common land, Dimnah with its common land, and Nahalal with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its common land, Yahatz with its common land, Kedemot with its common land, and Mephaat with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramot in Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Mahanaim with its common land, Heshbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land, four cities in all. So all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot, 12 cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all the cities. Verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. One of my frequent recommendations to people, usually in our Thursday Bible studies, is to get a Bible with decent 
Footnotes. I don't mean a study Bible with brief little comments at the bottom. Those are generally worthless. Instead, footnotes will often give you the meat of what is going on in a translation. Of our verses today, the New King James Version provides a footnote for Joshua 21, verse 36. It says, Joshua 21, 36, so with LXX, VG, CF1 Chronicles 6, 78 and 79, MT, BG, TG, omit verses 36 and 37. The meaning is that the LXX, which is the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and the Vulgate, meaning the Latin Vulgate, are as they have translated it. However, the Masoretic text, which is the MT, the BG, which is the Beur Gra, and the TG, which is the Targums, omit verses 36 and 37. Without even doing a deep study, we can be certain that the Masoretic text is wrong. The oldest manuscript of theirs is from the 11th century. The Beur Gra commentary was done by Elijah ben Solomon Zaman in the 18th century. So this is also much later, and I have no idea on earth why they would even include that, because he uses the Masoretic text as his source. So why would they even bother with the BG? But they did. And the Targums are not the greatest source of reliable information, because they are based on faulty oral tradition, although they do provide additional support for things at times. The Greek Septuagint is a translation from the Hebrew dated around 250 B.C. That means before Christ. The Latin Vulgate is translated from the Hebrew around A.D. 382. Therefore, it's pretty certain on the surface that the verses 36 and 37 belong there. Without them, the obvious statement found in verse 41 concerning there being 48 Levitical cities would be incorrect. Our text verse today comes from 2 Timothy 2. It is verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is, now I will say something before I go on. Anytime you see somebody with that on a board behind them, he's having a Bible study and it says rightly dividing the word of truth, he's implying that he is rightly dividing the word of truth. It's kind of silly to say we need to rightly divide the word of truth when we are doing our studies. You see what I'm saying? The reason why I included that is to let you know that that is a text verse for what we are going through. It doesn't mean I am rightly dividing the word of truth. It means that that is the text verse. But I'm just warning you that if somebody says you need to rightly divide the word, it does not mean that he is rightly dividing the word. You read the Bible and you be aware of what the Bible says. That's what I suggest. Don't trust a sign on the blackboard behind a teacher. It is certain that if a copy of a manuscript of Shakespeare's work was found containing spelling errors, transpositions, margin notes, missing words or sentences, and so on, anyone who evaluated it would say this is a copy of Shakespeare's work. In fact, it would be ridiculous to say otherwise. And yet, Naysayers of the Bible demand perfection of transmission to be a part of the process of conveying his word. If such perfection does not exist, which it could not because of the nature of man, then to them it somehow cannot be the word of God. The thinking is biased and it is flawed. It is a trap that too many have fallen into, thus believing that God has somehow preserved his word in an exacting manner that is 100% 
infallible in one particular version or another. Some people say that the LXX, the Greek Septuagint, is the only infallible translation. Some say the Masoretic text is inspired and infallible. And some say only the 1611 King Jimmy version is, and so on. It is an irresponsible way of looking at things. God has preserved his word by giving us an innumerable number of documents by which we can tell what is accurate and what is not. This is true with the two connected verses in Joshua 21, as it is with all other such discrepancies. Cambridge says this concerning verses 36 and 37. This verse, and the succeeding have the Masoretic note appended that they are not found in the Masora, or true tradition. Kimchi therefore rejects them, but they are found in the LXX, the Greek translation, and the rest of ancient versions. And they are necessary to make up the number of 48 cities. Dr. Kennecott, as well as Michalis, Rosenmuller, and Maurer defended their genuineness. So does Noble, who complains that Rabbi Jacob ben Hajim, in his rabbinical Bible of 1525, has very improperly omitted these towns on the authority of the Masora, and that many editors have foolishly imitated him. They have no doubt been omitted by the mistake of a copyist, who passed on from the for the arva of verse 35 to that of verse 37, omitting all that lay between. In other words, what has occurred is a very common scribal error known as a homotuliton. There is a repetition of endings and words that confuses the scribe as he looks to a source text and then back to the copy that he is making. He looked at the end of verse 35, which says, Dimna with its common land, and the Halalau with its common land, four cities. He then looked back to continue, and his eyes looked at the end of verse 37. Kedemot with its common land, and Mepha'at with its common land, four cities. He missed two verses when he went back to the page. He then proceeded on to verse 38, not realizing what he had done. This is why God has preserved his word in multiple manuscripts and in multiple languages. It is because man is fallible. If you don't understand this, go back and watch the Exodus 25, 10 through 22 sermon entitled The Ark of the Covenant and the Seat of Mercy. God shows us in typology exactly what we need to know. Do we have a sure word? We sure do. What we will look at today is the Word of God, and great things are to be found in His superior Word. And so, let us turn to that precious Word once again, and may God speak to us through His Word today, and may His glorious name ever be praised. I've got three thoughts for you today. The first is 12 cities. It's verses 34 through 40. The Levitical cities have been presented from the tribes in this chapter. The tribal designations and the number of cities were named first. From there, a detailed listing of each has been provided. The first son of Levi to be detailed was that of Kohath. Those designations were divided between the priestly class and the other Kohathites who were Levites. Next came the sons of Gershon. Now, the final group of Levites, those of Merari, are to be given their detailed listing of cities. That begins with verse 34. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites. Rather than an adjective, a verb is used. Ule mishpot bene marari ha 
Levim Hanotarim, and to families, sons Merari, the Levites, the remainings. The meaning is that everything that is remaining is to be designated to the Levites of the youngest son, Merari. The name Merari comes from Merar, to be bitter or to be strong. The I at the end may be, and it probably is, possessive. And so it means either bitterness or strong, or my bitterness or my strength. The cities of his allotment are named beginning with, verse 34 continues, from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam with its common land, Kartal with its common land. Zebulun means glorious dwelling place. Jokneam means either people will be lamented or let the people acquire. Kartal was not listed in the cities of Zebulun as recorded in Joshua 19. This is the only time it is mentioned in scripture. That ought to tell you there is typology involved. It comes from Keret, a city. That then comes from Kara, meaning to meet or to befall. Thus it means city or place of meeting. Verse 35, Dimna with its common land and the Halalal with its common land. Yay, we got Dimna. We're number one. We're number one. Well, maybe not. Dimna is also only found here in scripture. Scholars agree it is from the word domen, dung. Hence it means dung heap. Nahalalal is identical to Nahalol, found only in Isaiah 7:19. There it is translated as pastures or watering holes. Young says commendable things. That then comes from Nahal to lead or guide to a watering place or a place of rest. The most Known use of it is found in Psalm 23, where it says, He leads Nahal, me, beside the still waters. Strong's defines it as pasture. I defined it before doing my evaluation as led to rest. Verse 35 continues, four cities. As we have seen, Bullinger says, it is emphatically the number of creation of man in relation to the world as created. While six is the number of man in his opposition to and independence of God, it is the number of things that have a beginning, of things that are made, of material things and matter itself. It is the number of material completeness. Hence, it is the world number and especially the city number. Verse 36, and from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its common land, Jahaz with its common land. Reuben's tribal land is east of the Jordan. And more, Zebulun doesn't even have a border on the Jordan. Thus, the sons of Merari are somewhat divided from one another. Reuben means, see, a son. Betzer or Betzer comes from Batsar, meaning to enclose or make inaccessible. And so it means fortress or defense. However, it is identical to the word Betzer, which means precious ore. That is found only in Job 22, where it says, then you will lay your gold in the dust, your Betzer, and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold, your Betzer, and your precious silver. The idea is that the ore is what people use as a defense or a protection. But the person would put away this protection and trust in the Lord as his gold, meaning his protection instead. Yahatz was seen in Joshua 13. It means trodden down. It is where the battle between Israel and Sihon took place, as is recorded in Numbers 21, verse 23. Verse 37, Kedemot with its common land and Mephaat with its common land. Both cities were also named in Joshua 13. Kedemot means ancient times, antiquity, or beginnings. Mephaat means something like place of radiance. Abarim notes that it more precisely would be place of radiant 
theophany. Verse 37 continues, four cities. That now makes eight total cities. Added to that are, verse 38, and from the tribe of Gad, Ramot in Gilead, with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer. As always, the order of the Hebrew places the emphasis on the fact that it is a city of refuge by stating that first. Only then is the city named. U mimate gad et er miklat ha rotseach et ramot ba gilad ve et migrasheha. And from tribe gad, city, refuge, the slayer. Ramot in the Gilead and her common land. Gad is also east of the Jordan. Reuben is furthest south, while Gad is on Reuben's northern border, extending as far as the half-tribe of Manasseh. Gad means troop or fortune. Ramot comes from rum, meaning high or exalted. Thus, it signifies heights or a lofty place. The Gilead means the perpetual fountain. Also, verse 38 continues, Mahanaim with its common land. Mahane means camp. So Mahanaim being plural means two camps. It is where the angels met Jacob in Genesis 32, verse 1, giving rise to the name. Eventually, a city was built there. David will flee there after a son, Absalom, temporarily overthrows him. It is mentioned at various times elsewhere in the Old Testament. Verse 39, Heshbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land. Heshbon means intelligence. Jazer, or Yatzer, means helpful, or he shall help. Verse 39 continues, four cities in all. With these final four cities, the designating of the Levitical cities by name is complete. Verse 40, so all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, the rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot 12 cities. The verse more precisely reads, all the cities, two sons Merari, to their families, the remainings from families, the Levites, and were their lot cities to 10. It is a closing statement on the entire granting of cities within the tribal inheritances for Merari and thus for all the sons of Levi. As for Merari, there are 12 cities granted. It is the number of perfection of government or governmental perfection. Four cities and four more. Well, that makes eight. Add another four and 12 is what you get. Out of these 12, the typology is great. They tell us that in Christ, our future is set. Let us cherish this wonderful word each day and enjoy everything that our eyes alight upon. Whatever the words before us say, may we consider them before our eyes move on. There is treasure to be found in this word. It tells about our glorious Savior, Jesus. And so, let us be attentive to what we have heard, such wonderful things he has done for us. Our second thought today is the good word. It's verses 41 through 45. Verse 41, all the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. This is exactingly in accord with what was stated by the Lord in Numbers 35, where it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levites cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession, and you shall also give the Levites common land around their cities. They shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals." The common land of the cities which you give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around, and you shall measure outside the city on the east side two thousand cubits, on the south side two thousand cubits, on the west side two thousand cubits, and on the north side 
2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. Thus shall belong to them as common land for the cities. Now, among the cities which you may give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. And the cities which you will give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. And from the larger tribe you shall give many, from the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. The listing of the cities here in Joshua fulfills this mandate of the Lord through Moses. As the cities of refuge were designated as a part of this allocation, and as they have been specifically named during this allocation, in total number of cities, it must reflect this when they are considered. In other words, despite being 48 cities, it is 6 plus 42 that is highlighted above all else. It is to be remembered that the cities are not necessarily inhabited only by Levites, nor are the Levites restricted only to these cities. Rather, these cities are designated as Levitical cities for the sake of ensuring the people of Israel were tended to by the Levites in a manner appropriate to the tribal land in which they dwelt. Dispersing the Levites, as has been done, will ensure that this is the case. Verse 42, every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. The Hebrew is very precise in its presentation. Tiena, Hearim, Haele, Ur, Ur, Umegrasheha, Siviv Oteha. Were the cities the these, city, city, and her common land around her? It is a way of referring to each city independently and not as a class of cities collectively. The collective is then next referred to. Verse 42 continues, thus were all the cities. Ken, le he arim ha'ele, thus to all the cities the these. Each city was given its own common land to surround it, and thus it was for all the cities of the Levites. There was nothing spoken by the Lord that failed to be done. Because this allocation to the Levites is the last part of the distribution of the land according to the inheritances and according to the law, there will obviously be a concluding statement to that fact as well. That is next scene, verse 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. This is the culmination of the promises that went back approximately 480 years. The book of Joshua began in the first month of the year 2555 Anno Mundi, meaning from the creation of the world, as can be dated from Joshua 4 verse 19. It is now seven or so years later, so it is somewhere around 2562 Anno Mundi. For context, the call to Abraham was in the year 2084 Anno Mundi. That's in Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Avram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Avram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Avram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Avram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Avram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, 
as far as the terebinth tree of Moray. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Here it is, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Avram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This promise has been repeated to Isaac, Jacob, and the people of Israel numerous times since then. Thus, the words are given as a confirmation of each instance of those words since they had originally been spoken to Avram. The promises were made, and they have been fulfilled. Verse 43 continues, And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. As is the case with the cities, the land is also referred to in the feminine in Hebrew. And they possessed her and dwelt in her. The same feminine language is used of the land elsewhere. A notable example of this is found in Ezekiel 33. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. The intent is that there is to be a mutual blessing between the people in the land and the land with her people, while the Lord superintends over both. That state of blessing began at this point. With the land and city allocations complete, Israel should live contentedly before the Lord, because, verse 44, the Lord gave them rest all around. Vayanach Yehovah lachem misaviv, and rested Yehovah to them from around. It is as if the Lord set them down in the land with no need for care or worry about external pressures. Some see this as contradictory because the land is not fully subdued and there were enemies remaining. But that is not the point of the statement. The land was divided, the people were allocated their parcels, cities were designated for the Levites, and everything was within Israel's ability to handle. If any of our parents gave us a piece of property with a house properly secured with gates, doors with locks, weapons of defense, and so on, the parents could just as easily say, we have given you rest in your own home. It would be illogical to say, yes, but there are neighbors who don't like me. The grass will keep growing. There will be bills for water and electricity and so on. Life goes on. Suitable provision has been made, but there is a point where the person has to say, I will keep the house secure. I will mow the lawn. I will pay the bills and so on. This is the state in which Israel is now. They have been rested in the land, and now it is their responsibility to provide for themselves by accepting and maintaining their inheritance. The Lord had provided exactly what he had promised. Verse 44 continues, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. Again, the words are given to show the faithfulness of the Lord to his spoken word. He has promised, and his word is an oath in and of itself. The written record here was not questioned by the people at that time. Thus, it cannot be rightly questioned by anyone later. This is confirmed in the next words. Verse 44 continues. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Velo amad ish bifnehem mikal oivehem. And no stood man in their faces from all their enemies. Again, this does not mean that there were not enemies around them. It means that there was no active resistance or engagement against them. The land and the people were suitably subdued. Therefore, any failure to continue to subdue it would be the fault of Israel. The Lord has done what he promised. As it says, verse 44 continues, The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. The singular mixed with the plural is notable. Et kal oivehem natan Yehovah be yadam. All their enemies gave Yehovah into their 
hand. It is a group of people with one hand. The enemies had been sufficiently delivered into it, and all they needed to do was act on what they now possessed. With that, the final verse of the chapter is a celebratory note of victory. Verse 45 finishes with, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. A literal translation is, Not fell word from all the word, the good, which had spoken Jehovah unto house Israel. The all came. One can mentally think of the Lord speaking his promises in the past. Since they were spoken, they have floated upon the stream of time in exactly the same way they were first spoken. Not a single word of prophecy falls out of the line as they continue forward until this point in time at which they have come rushing into the present and settle as if it was into a house with an open door. The words entered and were considered fulfilled. This is the faithfulness of the Lord to his spoken word. Not a word of the Lord shall ever fail us. We can hold fast that it is faithful and true. It is the word that tells about Jesus, of all that he has done and will do. Not a word will fail of every good thing which the Lord has spoken to us. Complete trust in this word to us will bring a fulfilled hope in the message of Jesus. It is the word of God, a light for the way, as we travel through this darkened world until comes that most marvelous day when Christ shall descend as the heavens are unfurled. The book is written and it will come about. Let us be firm and fixed, never having a doubt. Our third thought today is explaining the typology. For the third and last time, we have been provided with a listing of the Levitical cities, other than the priestly cities for the sons of Levi. As with the Levites of Kohath and Gershon, these allotments detail aspects regarding Christ as the firstborn in his work under the law. However, the main content of the passage is mostly centered on the naming of the cities. So this will not only reflect the work of Christ, but also how it applies to his people, meaning their state in him. As we saw, the name Merari means either my bitterness or my strength. They are two sides of the same coin because bitterness includes the idea of that which is strong. Think of a bitter herb. Oh, it's strong to your taste, right? It looks to the work of Christ. It was a work of bitterness, but it is accomplished in the strength of the Lord. The three tribal allotments of Merari are Zebulun, Reuben, and Gad. They speak of the granting of, one, the glorious dwelling place, Zebulun, as Jesus' rightful due based on the proof of God's declaration of his sonship, See, a son, Reuben. That in turn reflects the fact that in the resurrection is realized his fortune, Gad. Within these allotments, the cities were named. The Levitical cities reflect the state of those within the inheritances, meaning believers in Christ. These started with the four in Zebulun, glorious dwelling place. Jokneam means let the people acquire. It is the allowance of the inheritance because of the work of Christ. Karta means city. It speaks of the city Zion, or the New Jerusalem, where believers are already citizens, as noted in the New Testament, such as in Galatians, Hebrews, and Revelation. One example is Galatians 4. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Dimna, dung heap, has its own special meaning for believers. 
It is the response to the present Zion, meaning the Jerusalem, which now is. Paul explains that in Philippians 3. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. The word is skabalon, dung, that I may gain Christ. Finally, in Zebulun is Nahalal, led to rest. We have been led to rest in Christ, our glorious dwelling place, as it says in Hebrews 4. For we who have believed do enter that rest. Next were the four cities of Reuben, see, a son. The first is Betzer, defense. In Christ, we rest in him as our defense, having laid aside our own protection. Jahat's trodden down looks to the total victory found in Christ concerning anything that would keep us from our own state of sonship. Romans 16, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Kedemot, ancient times, refers to the promise fulfilled in Christ and in which we participate. From Titus 1, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Mepha'at, place of radiance, or as Abarim notes, place of radiant theophany, surely looks to our faith in Jesus, the manifestation of God in humanity. It says in 1 Timothy 3, God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Lastly, Gad, fortune, also had four cities. The first was Ramot in the Gilead, or heights in the perpetual fountain. This refers to the state of believers, even now in heavenly places, sealed with the Holy Spirit That is a sanctuary city which speaks of being completely secure and hidden in Christ. That was followed by Mahanaim, two camps. This city speaks of the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles. Taken together with Ramot and the Gilead, both thoughts are found in Ephesians chapter 2, first from Ephesians 2, 6, and then verses 14 and 18. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places, Ramot, in Christ Jesus, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, Mahanaim, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit, the Gilead, the perpetual fountain to the Father. One might argue that because they are now one, that would defeat the purpose of the name two camps. However, Paul never says that Jews are no longer Jews. So much for replacement theology. The term is reserved for them exclusively, just like the term male is exclusive to male and female is exclusive to female. Thus, even though there is one church body, there are two major divisions within it, Jews and Gentiles, despite what replacement theology teaches. 
That is followed by hespon or intelligence. It refers to the state of those who are in Christ. Paul contrasts the faith of believers with the intelligence of the world, demonstrating that the wisdom of God is far above what they possess. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And going down to verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Lastly is jazzer, or helpful, or he shall help. It is an obvious position in Christ. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The three divisions of four cities, totaling 12, speaks of the effects of Christ's work covering the entire earth, four, and forming the perfection of government, 12, out of his people. Thus, the allocation of the Levitical cities is complete, forming a consistent and marvelous set of pictures of the work of Jesus Christ and the effects of his work as realized in his people. In total, the sets of Levitical cities were said to equal 48. The priests, verse 19, 13 cities. The non-priestly Kohathites, verse 26, 10 cities. The Gershonites, verse 33, 13 cities. The Merarites, verse 40, 12 cities. Total, verse 41, 48 cities. As the cities of refuge were specifically and emphatically noted prior to the naming of the city, it should be restated what the entire portion of these cities tells us. The obvious immediate division of 48 by 12 is that it signifies the perfection of government, 12, while 4 represents the number of material completeness. It is the world number, and especially the city number. Thus, in these cities, one can see a representation of the kingdom of God in the world. However, there is a special focus on man, which is represented by the six cities of refuge. It is a marvelous picture of God working through Christ and forming a universal government highlighted by those who come to take refuge in him. With that, the final verses had a strong emphasis on the fact that this was the completed work of the Lord. The Lord gave to Israel. The Lord gave them rest. The Lord delivered all their enemies. The typology is evident. Jesus Christ has done every single thing necessary to bring us to God's rest. There's nothing lacking in his work, and there's nothing that we can do to add to it. And this does not mean that we are to just sit idly by and whittle away our time. The inheritance is secured by Christ, but our state within it is up to us just as it was for Israel. God has not removed them from the equation, even though they have been faithfully unfaithful to him. And more, he will bring them to the state of exaltation that he promised them. The same is true with us. But how do we want our eternity to be set? Rewards and losses are coming at the Bema Seat of Christ. So let us endeavor to do the work of spreading his name now while we can. As for the evaluation of the final words of the chapter, rather than merely think of Israel and the Lord's fulfillment of his words to them, listen again and think of God's people, his redeemed, and Jesus' fulfillment of the word for us. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. One can picture the Lord speaking his promises in the past since they were spoken they have floated upon the stream of time in exactly the same way they were first spoken. Not a single word of prophecy falls out of the line as they continue forward until this point in time. 
at which they have come rushing into the present and settle as if it was into a house with an open door. The words entered and were considered fulfilled. This is true for every person who has ever come to Jesus Christ. From the first promises of a Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3, all the way through Scripture, every single promise of God is realized in the salvation of each individual who calls out to Him. And more, there are other promises, future to us now, that God has made. We can be as sure of their coming to pass as we are of those that have already been realized. Be sure to trust Christ today. What he has done and what God will continue to do through him is as certain as the rotation of the earth as each day unfolds, even more so. Let us trust in him to the glory of God who has spoken forth his word. If you're worried about where the world is going, if you're worried about how things are in your life, in the life of your family, of your work, or anything else, God already knows. He's aware of your situation and what he has promised despite your current situation, is going to be glorious. And when the time comes for the prophecy of the rapture to be fulfilled, which is going to come in its due time, we will be taken to glory, and all of this will be behind us. We're not going to be thinking about, oh, how bad it was on August 27th of 1998. We're not, that's not ever going to be a consideration again. We are going to be so content in what Jesus Christ offers What does it say on the last page of the Bible? He's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be nothing that we are going to be concerned about except living in the glory of God forever. So keep that in its proper perspective as you go through this world and you see it devolving into utter chaos. Or when you buy a new truck and you get your first ding on it. Or if you, you know, whatever. You get upset about these things, but they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. I was driving across 41 this morning. I was at the light. I had to stop because the light was red, unfortunately. And here goes a, like a Lamborghini or something. And these two guys are in it. It's a black Lamborghini. And you could just tell they thought the world of themselves. We are so cool. And I thought, all it takes is just getting to the next light and having somebody slam into you. And that car is not going to be worth a thing. It's nothing. We put such a high priority on things. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your heart focused on him. And everything is going to be marvelous. Okay, I am absolutely certain of that. Now, next week is, uh, oh, I got a closing verse for you here. Oh, wait, before I even give you a closing verse, I got to tell you how to know Jesus, okay? The Bible says that Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses. And he fulfilled the law of Moses. And part of that fulfillment of the law of Moses was that he died on the cross of Calvary. He gave his life in exchange for our sins. Every single type and picture of the Levitical sacrifices of the Uh, what they they do on the Day of Atonement, the feasts, everything pointed to him. He was fulfilling all of that in that moment in his agony on the cross, and he was doing it for the sake of our sins. And he died, and he took our sins into the grave, and there he lay. And then on the third day, he rose again, proving that he had no sin of his own and proving that your sins remain in the grave as well, okay? And so all he asked you to do, I'm speaking about God, All he asks you to do is to trust in what he has done through the giving of Jesus Christ. If you will do that one simple thing and believe the gospel, there's nothing else you you can or need to add to it. Just call on Jesus and you will be saved. And everything promised from the beginning of the world will be yours. All of it. You will appropriate that. So do it today, please. Next week, I 
Got to read the closing verse. Closing verse is from 2 Corinthians 1. It is verses 20 through 22. Here it is. For all the promises of God in him are yes. This is speaking of the promises of God in Christ. And in him, amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I feel so bad for people that believe you can lose your salvation. I feel so bad for people like that. Oh, I got to go through the tribulation period and prove my faithfulness to Jesus. That is a total lack of trust in what Christ has done. Don't, don't do that. Trust in him and know that he has saved you. You are saved despite yourself. Next week is Joshua 22. It's verses one through nine. It's the best without any haw or hem. It's entitled, So Joshua Blessed Them. That'll be your 50th Joshua sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Mango time. Big happy mango. It's more than just a mango because you can get free ones right in the basket back there. But this is to prove that you've earned a mango. Those are grace. This you have to work for. Okay. Um, I'm going to need you to raise your hand, okay? Um, And I want you to raise your hand quickly because I'm going to watch the first arm go up. How long was the infirmity of the man who lay by the pool of Bethesda? 38 years. I knew you'd get that. I knew she was going to get that. Rhoda Wojtenko is a Bible scholar extraordinaire. Big mango for you there, buddy. Yeah, I knew, I knew it. I said earlier in the week, I bet this, I bet she's, or Burke, I thought maybe Burke would get it, but I, I felt confident that Rhoda, for some reason, was going to get that. And there it goes, first, pew, like a rocket, pew. And what's sad, I just read that earlier. That's why we read the Bible. How long was that? That's why we read the Bible. I'm glad, that's all I wanted, was to hear that. I don't care about getting the answer, because it's hard, you freeze up. I care that you were reading the Bible at that point. Because if I do this 52 times in a year and you read your Bible every day, you're going to be at some point that I read at some time during the year. Okay? Good job. All right. This is entitled, The Cities of Gershon, the Levites. And of the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, as was planned, from the tribe of Zebulun, Jokneam, with its common land. Kartal, with its common land. Hold on, there are more. Dimna, with its common land. And the Halalal with its common land, cities four. And from the tribe of Reuben, Betzer with its common land, Jahatz with its common land, totaling up the score, Kedemot with its common land, and Mephaat with its common land, once again, cities four. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramot and Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Mahanaim with its common land, a portion not so small, Heshbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land, four cities in all. So, all the cities for the children of Merari, according to their families, all the men, the rest of the families of the Levites, were by their lot 12 cities, yes, 2 and 10. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were 48 cities with their common lands. Together, they have a marvelous story to tell. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all the cities really quite a bit. So, The Lord gave to Israel all the land, not a part or just a bit, all of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. 
the Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, just as planned. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing, which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Such a marvelous story to tell. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for these cities all through the tribes of Israel and then followed along by the uh, Levites, the priests and the Levites, and how every single section has led us to an understanding of who you are, of what you're doing, and how that relates to us. Thank you for this assurance and reassurance that we possess because of these things. How good you are to us to show us what you are going to do and how you're going to do it so that we can be comforted even in our times of affliction, even in our times of sadness and loss, that you are in control of all things. Thank you, O oh God. I love you. I praise you. All of us do. We praise you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, while it's on my mind, before I uh, we do the Lord's Supper, if you want to pray about something today and tonight, I am going to start typing the book of Joshua. I'm Judges tomorrow. So uh, I have no idea where we're going to go with that, but we're going to start into sermon typing for judges. So You're keep that in prayer, please. Huh? You're going to go up and down. Up and down. It's going to be a it's going to be a big, big responsibility, and we'll just pray the Lord can open up some uh, understanding to it.